Our series for, that we're starting today is called Out of Control. Out of control. Get it? Out of control. You'll get it. Don't worry. Our scripture for today is out of 1 Samuel 24. So if you have a Bible, you can uh, turn to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 to 13. If you did not bring a Bible and you see one right there in front of you in the pew, take it. Take it home with you. We'd love for you to have it. Okay? 1 Samuel 24, 1 to 13. A fun scripture. Here's what it says. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. A lovely place if you haven't been there. <laughs> he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in <clears throat> to relieve himself. David, told you it was fun. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. And some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut it off. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the, Lord may the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Thank you, Pastor Eric. As he mentioned, today we start a new series, Out of Control. And I want you to think about it. it's really maybe not so much we are out of control, but God is out of control. And not that he's out of control like you might be thinking, but he's out of control in areas of our lives where we would be well advised 
to submit to him, to allow him control in our lives, to allow him to come and to, to change us, to mold us into his image. So areas where we like to be in control. If you're like me, I don't want to say I'm a control freak. You know, how many, no, don't raise your hands if you're control freaks. We tend to be, though, I like to control, you know, I like to make sure the people underneath me and the, and the circumstances underneath me, everything, is, is, I feel good when, when I'm in control. But when it comes to my own life, when it comes to growing in Christ, being in control sometimes is exactly the opposite of what God asks for us when he says, I want to be in control. Uh, I want to direct your paths. I want to lead you. I want to guide you. But sometimes I want to be in control. So that's where we're going to be headed over these next few months and, or weeks anyhow. And today, because it is graduation Sunday and we're honoring the graduates, I thought it would be good to talk about being in control of what, well, how about our future? So many of us look towards the future and, and we want to be in control of our future. We want to know where we're headed and we have this plan. And you might think, well, maybe this only applies if I'm 18 or 16. But even when even at someone at some of our advanced ages think about the future still, how, how do we want our story to end? And so many times it's, it's areas of our life that we need to surrender to God to do that. And so what's, what's your future hold for you today? And, and is your future in your hands or is it in somebody else's hands or is your future in God's hand? And that's why we've picked this scripture today. This scripture is a story of a future king and the current king. In fact, this future king we know is David. And David's future had already been scripted for him. In fact, seven chapters earlier, eight chapters earlier, in 1 Samuel 16, we see Samuel anoint David as the future king. How would you like to have your future mapped out for you like that? You know, I, I know what I'm going to be. I'm going to be the, the future king, the king of Israel. I'm going to be leading God's people. So he had his future laid out. But it was the the long-term future. For many of us, we look that way, especially when we're younger. What's my long-term future? My long-term future might be to be a nurse. My long-term future might be to be in construction. My long-term future might to have a family. But along the way, there are steps. Along the way, there's a path we travel that either take us to that future or take us away from it. I would suggest if your long-term goal is to be a nurse. You don't sign up for cooking classes. <laughs> you sign up for medical classes. You go one direction or another, and you take the, the steps along the way based on where you want to go. And all of us come to points in our lives where we got to take a, a step, make a decision, and it's either going to take us away from where God wants us to go or to the place that God wants us to go. And so I would say that as we think about our futures, sometimes it's not the 10 years out we need to be thinking. Sometimes it's not 20 years out we need to be thinking. It's this afternoon. It's tomorrow. And it's the next day. Which is why we're looking at David here. Because he has this future planned out. But he is right now in a situation where he's going to have to make a decision that's going to impact his life going forward. It's going to impact whether he is qualified to lead God's people. And he's in a very 
difficult situation. In fact, the situation here is he's being pursued by Saul. You might remember David was anointed king, and right after that, what did he do? He went out and he slayed this giant of a man called Goliath. Then everybody was so pleased, and Saul was so pleased, he brought him into the palace, and, and it says in there that everything Saul asked David to do, he did with success. Very successful. But pretty soon, Saul got jealous. Saul got angry. Saul, Saul realized it wasn't his family that was going to take over the throne. It was going to be David and his, his family. And so, and so uh, Saul starts to come up with ways to get rid of David. He tries to kill him. When that doesn't work, he comes up with other plans that he could come to death. And finally, he just starts pursuing him. And we find here in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, Saul had been out to battle. And when he got... Coming back from battle, someone come up and said, hey, hey, we know where David is. David and his men, they're in, in Gadi. They're there, and we can chase them down. And so Saul went and got 3,000 of his men, and he went to Engadi. I've got a picture of Engadi here. Took this about two months ago when we were there. If we have that picture, there you go. You, you can see this is not, a, it's a barren land. It's, it's a desert, but it's not a flat desert like the Sahara it's a desert of, of mountains, and you can see places in there where there could be caves. There's another picture. The next picture shows you a little more. It's a little south of Engadi, but you can see the, going back, the flat area is going to the Red Sea, or the Dead Sea, excuse me. This is just west of the Dead Sea. And so going to the Dead Sea to the right, but to the left, you start into this vast desert area that David would have been hiding and running. And Saul and 3,000 men, you see, it wouldn't be real easy for 3,000 men to get into this area and through it. So they're in Engadi, and they're in this area. This picture actually is a little south of Engadi. This is taken, I think, from the top of Masada, and so it's, which is just a little bit south of Engadi. But that's what the terrain would have looked at. And we see what happens. We pick up the action in verse 3 which uh, Pastor Eric read to us, it says this, he came to the sheep pens along the way, a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Do I need to give any more explanation? Yeah. No, okay. He's got to go potty, okay? That's it. David and his men were far back in the cave. All the caves you had to stop in. <laughs> you had to stop in my cave. Put yourself there. David, and we're told in the chapter earlier, he had 600 men with him. Now, whether all 600 were with him, very likely, big cave. They're, they're back trying to hide from Saul and his men. And you see the caravan of 3,000 men pull up and stop right in front of the cave that you're in. I don't know what I'd be thinking. We're dead men. I'm thinking, who didn't cover their tracks? Who let them know we were here? And you can imagine the fear and the anxiety that might have been on these men at this time. Even if there were 600, there were 3,000 of them, and they had them trapped in the cave. What are we going to do? When all of a sudden, in walks the one who was trying to kill David. Without guards, on his own, to relieve himself. The opportunity appeared too good to pass up. In fact, the men said in the next verse, this is, well, you know, I imagine the caves I've been in, they all echo, and they're loud. So I, I think they had to whisper this. So I think it's, hey, David, David, do you see this? I guess 600 men, they're probably lined up, you know, halfway down the, so it's like, hey, pass it on, the king, pass it on. I can just hear, I can just pass it on. 
put on the king, you know. And so like, I can hear him whispering, David, this is the day the Lord spoke of. What is that to you? I will give you your enemy in your hands for you to deal with him as you wish. Like your people want you know, be quiet. We don't want them to know. But here's Saul, and he's sitting there unprotected. And so he walks up, and, and he, well, he's, he's, it's, it's certainly, I, I could be, David, this is your lucky day. This is your lucky day. Think of the emotions. Think of the anxiety. Think of the fear. Then, then transform into the anger. <clears throat> and this is the guy who wants to kill me. Revenge. This is my chance. The adrenaline starts to flow. This is my big opportunity. The excitement that's there in that cave at that time. This man who is trying to kill me is right here. So now David is faced with a life-defining situation. Do I kill the king or don't I? Yes or no? Do I kill him or don't I? Yes or no? David had a decision to make. And he says, what is going to control my actions at this time? And the first thing he had to ask himself, am I going to let my emotions lead me in this decision? Am I going to let my emotions of fear and anger and disgust with this man control my actions? Behavioral scientists and observers of behavior tell us that many, many, many times no matter how much we think through something, no matter how many times we've gone through and made the, well, here's the positive reasons and the, and the negative reasons for something, in the end, we make our decisions based on emotion. Try going to buy a car. You walk in, you know how much money you have to spend, and you know what you want. Until the dealer says, let me show you this one. <laughs> and you walk to it, he says, wouldn't you look good? in this car. And you step back, at least I do, and say, oh, would I look good in that car? <laughs> or I would look good in that home, or would I look good in this, in this situation, or in this job, or would I, wouldn't I look good in this circumstance? And our emotions take control. How about, wouldn't it be nice to get rid of this enemy? This is the time to do it. After all, hasn't God provided an open door? Hasn't God provided an open door? So many times we look and say, oh, God provided an open door. We ought to take it. Are your emotions going to draw, drive you? Not only did he have emotions driving, though, he had some what we might call peer pressure. <laughs> you know, and no matter who we are, what age, at times we can succumb, succumb to peer pressure. Do it, don't do it. Now, not now. Smoke this, take this, try this. Go with us, come with us, come with me. All these pressures that influence us. In fact, social behavior says again, no matter how much we thought about a situation ahead of time, when, when the heat of the moment and decision needs to be made, many times we allow outside external influences to impact our decision. And David had what apparently was 600 men <laughs> saying, this is it, get him, <laughs> get him. 
What's David going to do? Well, David sprang to action, or he crept into action, as verse 4 says. It says, then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He had apparently disrobed and laid the robe off to the side where, where David could come up and, and sneakily get up and take a piece of that. And then he returned to his men. His men, he returned to with, without a head, without, a, without blood, without anything of evidence that he had killed Saul. And so he has some explaining to do. And he explains it this way, verse 6. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men. And he did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. You see, David had a promise that he would be king. He had a future laid out for him. But he did not have a command from God that he was to kill the king. And as long as he did not have that command, he wasn't going to take matters into his own hand. In fact, he went ahead and said, not only did I do it, but you guys, stop it. Don't do it yourselves. You see, opportunity does not mean we need to do it. Opportunity does not mean we need to give in. Opportunity does not mean I'm going to sin just because maybe it's advantageous for me. If we want God's will for our future, I need to listen to what he has to say. And he never, ever, ever told me to kill the anointed one of God. And so I will not do it. And so he does something even more remarkable. Instead of hiding back in the cave with everybody and letting them go on and then head up the other direction, he walks out and he confronts Saul with that cloth. And he says this, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? He says, you know, king, I'm right here. I'm in front of you with your 3,000 men. And by the way, waving that little cloth that he had cut off. He says, why are you listening to these people who say, I want to harm you? Then he goes on and says, the day, this day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you from my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. He said, I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. He says, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? to take God's work into my hands. And by the way, who am I to subvert God's timing? God will place me as king in due time. And it's not my time to do it. You see, this open door, what was an apparent open door for David is really, in my opinion, a trap door. It was a trap door waiting to ensnare him, disqualify him from being king, taking the future that God had planned for him, the future that God was in control of, and taking control of it himself. God never said, kill the king. And 600 people clamoring in your ear has to be some pretty convincing arguments. The emotions that you have have to be pretty powerful. 
But David had some decisions to make. He had a decision to make. Do I let my emotions control my future? Do I let my emotions control my future? Do I do what my emotions are asking me to do and live with the consequences? Do I cave into peers and let them determine my future? Do I listen to what others say and let them determine my future? Or do I stick with God's plan? Do I stick with God's plan for me? And God's timing for me, do I stick with it? Is God in control of my life or isn't he? Yes or no? Yes or no, is God in control of my life or is he not in control? That's David's choice. And for each one of us, that's our choice. Is God in control or isn't he? Am I going to stick with his plan or am I going to let the peer pressures of the world, am I going to let, am I gonna let the, the emotions impact my decisions day by day, moment by moment, that take me far away from what God had for me? So how do I know if God's in control of my life? How do I know if what I'm doing is, is God's plan or, or is it my own plan? And actually, this story is told in one of the, my favorite chapters in one of my favorite books. It's chapter 7 of Andy Stanley's The Principle of the Path. He talks about this story and, and he summarizes it with this quote. And he says this, One never accomplishes the will of God by breaking the law of God, violating the principles of God, or ignoring the wisdom of God. That, that's worth repeating. One never accomplishes the will of God by breaking the law of God, violating the principles of God, or ignoring the wisdom of God. Let that sink in for a second. That's great advice as we stare into our future. The decisions I make tomorrow that are leading me to God's future plan for me, the decisions I make next Thursday that are leading me to the future God has for me, the decisions I make next month that are leading me to the path God made for me, are they, are they breaking the law of God? Are they violating principles of God? Are they ignoring the wisdom of God? Because if they are, they're probably not taking me to the future God has planned for me. If David would have stepped in and taken the law of God and broke it or violated the principles of God or just acted on his own wisdom, very, very easily could have been disqualified for the future that God had anointed him to do. Stanley goes on in his book and he asks three questions. Three questions that we need to consider. And the first one's this. Does the option that I'm facing, the choice that I'm considering, violate God's law? And, and allowing God to control my future, am I going against his, what he has already revealed? What has God already revealed to us? Well, he's revealed to us his law. And 1 Timothy 1.8 says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. <laughs> it's there for our good. It's here for our protection. So if God has already spoken, do not murder. If God has already spoken, do not steal. If God has already spoken, do not commit adultery. Those are things God has spoken on. And if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm breaking those, then is God in control? I would submit probably not. God is not in control. He says, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. I will not violate, I will not break God's law just because it benefits me. Just because it takes the heat off of me. 
I'm not going to break God's law. The second question is this. Does this option violate a principle? You know, not every situation we run into is, is exactly described in the Bible. Sometimes they're faced with decisions, and they're complicated decisions. They're caused by modern technology and different things. And he says, you know, the Bible doesn't tell me really whether I should do this or, you know, how to use a cell phone and, you know, things like, you know, all, we run into all days of, in the days of our lives, just, just crazy things. But while God's word doesn't give the answer to every question, there are principles that are, that are woven throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture, that we can tell, am, 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 if I make this choice, is it violating a principle? Some of those principles are principles like mercy, contentment, humility, hospitality, justice, generosity, fidelity, honesty, respect, and honor. And we could go on and on and on. Principles that are woven through the stories of Scripture. Principles that are exhibited in the life of Jesus Christ. Principles that lead us in the way we make decisions, we interact with people, and define our future. Finally, the third, the third question is this. In light of the story I want to tell, in light of how I want people to remember me, and in, in, in light of what I want my final future to be, what is the wise thing to do? You know, sometimes it just comes down to what is the wise thing? What is the, what is the smart thing? What, is, what would God say about this? The Bible is also full of wisdom. In fact, we have even in the scriptures what some call, what we call the wisdom books. Listen to just a few nuggets of wisdom from Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 24. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. Good wisdom. How about 13, 16 of Proverbs? Wise people think before they act. Fools don't. And even brag about their foolishness. That's pretty good wisdom. How about 16, 18 of Proverbs? Pride goes before destruction. Haughtiness before a fall. How about Proverbs 21? It says this. Wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink are not wise. How about 2017? Stolen bread tastes sweet, but it turns to gravel in the mouth. A lot of good wisdom in God's word. Wisdom that helps us as we make decisions. Wisdom that helps us as we lean into our future. Wisdom that leads and directs. God's people. Those who are Christ followers. As a Christ follower, do you want to lead your own life? Or you just want, I'm glad I'm going to charge in the future on my own. But when we do that, most behavior scientists and experts say, not only are we, well, we know we're out of God's will, but we really usually don't do it on our own. It's our emotions lead us, our peers lead us, external factors lead us. So somebody is going to lead and direct your future. Somebody is going to do it. Theologian and apologist Robbie Zacharias says this, 
There is no greater discovery than seeing God as the author of your destiny. There is no greater discovery than seeing God as the author of your destiny. Who's in control? Are you willing to give God control, yes or no? That means that decision of who you're going to be 30 years from now or for some of us, maybe five years from now, is going to be molded by the decisions you yield to Christ and you yield to God, the control He has in your life this afternoon, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year. Are you willing to give Him control? Or are you going to hold on to it? Listen to the words of this song. Let it minister to you as we worship together. Here I am And all my intentions And all my obsessions I want to lay them all down In your hands Only your love is vital Though I'm not entitled Still you call me your child Should go. God, you don't. 
heaven wants me so this world has lost its grip on me let's pray father i pray that uh, this morning that we would be able to surrender ourselves to you lord that we would be able to give ourselves to you and the lord that our future that maybe we've been holding on to and we've been trying to control we would lay it at your feet. God who loves us, the God who cares for us, the God who provides for us, the God who brought us eternal life. Lord, help us to turn over to you control of all those things that we're hanging on to. And Lord, related to our future, Lord, those decisions that we make moment by moment, day by day, Lord, help us to Overcome those emotions and, Lord, to, to maybe block out those peers that are pushing us in the wrong direction. And, Lord, to focus on your will, on your law, on your principles, on your wisdom. Lord, show us your way. We'll give you praise in Jesus' name.